You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Liberate Your Posture. Today, we're going to be learning some creative techniques to be able to help you optimize your function on a day-to-day basis. A couple of things that you might need today are going to be a foam roller, a trigger point ball or any type of round object, maybe a softball, baseball, lacrosse ball, anything like that that you could potentially use for self-myofascial release. We're going to need a dowel rod, a broomstick, or even any type of dumbbells or barbells because we will be simulating some sort of resistance training exercises at some point. You'll also need a resistance band, either low tension or as small tension as you can possibly get, and then a foam pad, pillow, rolled up towel, anything that you can use for padding for your knees because we will be getting down on the ground, moving around and making sure that you are moving optimally today. Okay, so let's move forward. Um, One thing I do want to say as a disclaimer is I will be holding my phone sporadically throughout this presentation. This is serving as my clicker so I can slide through all the different presentation slides that I have for you um, so that we can make sure that we're transitioning nice and smoothly. But without further ado, my name is Corey Bennett. I'm the assistant director for fitness programs at the University of Florida Department of Recreational Sports. Um, My primary job with the University of Florida is to supervise the personal training program, massage therapy program, and I also run a fitness assessment center that supervises over 30 personal trainers that work within those spaces in addition to four massage therapists. On the side of my day job, which is at the university, I also run a private fitness coaching business. Um, I do take uh, in-person clients, I do house calls, I do online programming, and I try to mix it all into this thing that I like to call the benefit project. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of this presentation, but what I wanna be able to teach for you today are some very simple techniques that you can use to monitor and also improve your posture, okay? So, Some of the things that we're gonna be talking about today is we're going to be identifying some common posture patterns, okay, both good and bad. We're gonna talk about kinetic checkpoints, okay, different joints in the body that usually influence our posture and the way that our body moves. We're also gonna talk about how to sequence corrective exercise in a way that can help us improve postural compensations. We're going to talk about these restorative techniques that can help improve range of motion, increase flexibility, and also strengthen muscles that might be neglected as we start to work on correcting postural compensations. And then lastly, I'm gonna provide you with a couple of things to be mindful of on a day-to-day basis when it comes to adjusting your own posture and ensuring that you're doing the same for both your participants and clients, whether you're in any type of uh, fitness profession. So 
in order to really figure out what's going to go on with this presentation, we were first have to figure out what the root of it is. And we're talking all about posture. So what is it? Posture, by definition, is referring to the position of your body in space and the alignment of all of the body parts in relation to one another and the environment at one point in time. Okay, so when we're thinking about what we're doing on the day to day basis, we're probably not really thinking about, oh, what am I doing with my shoulders? What am I doing with my hips, my head, my knees? We're trying to really just live freely and intuitively. Um, but the correct definition for posture is to have a balanced musculoskeletal state. So referring to our muscles um, that will help protect the supporting structures that the body uses in order to prevent damage to the or prevent damage or deformation of the positions that include standing sitting and lying down but we're going to circle back to sitting mostly throughout this presentation because that's what we're going to talk about reversing is because we have common habits of being able to be in seated positions or seated positions for very long periods of time um, and that could have some long-lasting effects that could potentially negatively affect um, our body so before we go forward, we have to talk about what is considered bad posture, okay? When you think of bad posture, you may be thinking of people who have maybe like a hunchback or rounded shoulders or a forward head, some of the things that we may cover today. But poor posture is really best described as poor postural control, okay? When we talk about postural control, we're talking about our ability of our body and the muscles that surround our different joints to be able to hold ourselves up correctly. Okay, prevent shoulders from rounding, prevent our back from overarching, prevent our head from tilting forward or protruding forward. All right. So these are the things that we're going to cover today. And we're going to identify three key movement compensations. Okay. Those three compensations are lower cross syndrome, which really predominates around the pelvic region. We're going to talk about upper cross syndrome, which is up around the shoulder region. And then also accompanied to upper cross syndrome, forward head position or chronic forward head posture, okay? Um, some of the chronic, chronic things that could potentially happen when we deal with these things long-term, months, multiple years, so on and so forth, is uh, headaches, different types of shoulder pain and back pain, um, and all different types of aches that could potentially debilitate us from being able to perform not only just exercise, but daily activities optimally. All right. So the goal for today is to be able to take what we would consider as bad posture, apply some really cool exercises, some of them that I hope are unique to you, because um, the goal for me was to create some unique things that you probably have never seen before to you so that you can add them as tools to your exercise toolbox. OK. So as creatures of habits, human beings are always going to be trying to do the path of least resistance, okay? In our case, we need to start being able to adopt good habits in a way that will allow us to uphold a proper posture day to day so that as we age, especially for longevity, as we age, we will have better positioning, prevent damage, prevent chronic issues from occurring on a musculoskeletal basis and ensure that we can, like me, wanna be able to live till 85 and hopefully be able to go out and pick up the paper. I mean, when I'm 85, I know the paper probably won't exist then, but who knows? Eventually, we'll probably be able to just download it into our brains, right? So when it comes to developing habits, we're really trying to think about what type of things are going to help us long term, all right? So if we have bad habits, 
with posture, it's going to be relating to pain. But we're not only just talking about back pain here. Um, it could travel throughout our kinetic chain up into our shoulders, into our neck, maybe down into our feet and our ankles. And these are things that we can correct if we are first able to identify what's going on in the body. And then also, how are we going to be able to approach it by using exercise? All right. So we want to be able to prevent these for our clients and participants. And we as fitness professionals have the ability to do so. So this wouldn't be a fitness professional presentation without a little bit of disclaimer. So forgive me for reading this verbatim, but it's really important um, for scope of practice. So it's important that as fitness professionals, we stay within our scope of practice, prescribing exercise for the treatment of any type of pain or condition that is chronic is specifically saved for healthcare providers. We wanna save that for physicians, physical therapists, occupational therapists, people who have the actual education and credentials to be able to diagnose and treat pain. As fitness professionals, on the other hand, we are taught how to assess movement, which is a big part of our job, and then be able to see different type of movement compensations. So think about what NASM has to offer. They have the overhead squat, they have different types of movement assessments, static posture assessment, the push-pull assessment. These are all assessments that you're going to want to get really familiar with that we honestly don't have a full amount of time to be able to discuss in depth today, but things that will help you identify what can be going on with your client's movement or even your own movement so that you can identify what type of things could be worked on in addition to your regular workout routine. So we're moving now into something that is like one of the best models that I've ever come across in terms of figuring out how to accommodate a client in terms of their movements. We have the NASM corrective exercise continuum. All right, so I'm gonna have the producers pull this up and blow this up and take me off the screen because this is really important. There are four huge phases that come with the NASM corrective exercise continuum here. It starts with inhibiting. So with the inhibit phase, we have the ability to identify muscles that are overactive and shortened and apply different types of techniques using self-myofascial release to be able to inhibit those muscles so that they can start to restore their normal length. Okay, with chronic positions like sitting for long periods of time, you have muscles that get passively shortened and your body starts to realize this as the new norm for what that muscle should be doing. So we're going to try and apply some things to those muscles and we'll talk more in depth about what those muscles are later on for how you're going to be able to inhibit and then also relax those muscles so that they can get some further length. Moving forward, we have the lengthen phase. So we go inhibit, then lengthen. Self-myofascial release followed by some form of stretching, whether it's dynamic stretching, static stretching, or neuromuscular stretching. All great techniques for you to be able to target a muscle that was previously inhibited so that you can get a plastic response out of getting more length of the shortened and under or overactive muscles. Okay. In the lengthened phase, you're mostly going to be wanting to hold stretches for long periods of time so that your body can adapt to these new ranges of motion and lengths. Okay. Those muscles want to be able to get to those full lengths. It's not going to be very comfortable, but at the same time, you're going to be pushing the boundaries of what that muscle is capable of doing in order to ensure that you get the greatest range of motion for that particular area. 
Once we go and inhibit and then lengthen the muscles, we then need to shift our focus to activating weak and underactive muscles, okay? So these are muscles that were probably over-dominated by the ones that were overactive and shortened, okay? If I'm thinking of different positions, these muscles are the ones that are gonna need extra love by doing some very unique exercises that are very outside the norm. We're not thinking traditional here because some of these uh, muscles are very hard to target by doing very traditional techniques. So you have to be able to do something different in order to get to them. All right. So once we get through inhibiting overactive and tight muscles and then strengthening by activating weak and underactive muscles, then we can go on to integrating. All right. So this is where we take functional movements, mostly compound and multi-joint, multi-muscle movements, and then apply these new positions to see whether or not the work that we just did through this continuum is making any difference. Okay, and the reason it's a continuum here is because we can go through each phase of this uh, model and get to the end where we're now integrating it into functional exercise. But now we may see that there are still some compensations, so we need to go back and revisit. Maybe we need to revisit strengthening in the activate phase, or we need to revisit lengthening in the stretching phase, or maybe we need to go very back to the beginning and inhibit, 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 so that we can get that relaxation that we actually need. Okay, so we're going to move forward here. We can pull this down to both screens if we need to. We're going to cover some kinetic checkpoints. All right. So primarily today, we're going to be focusing on the glenohumeral joint and the scapulothoracic joint for the upper body. Okay. And then the lumbopelvic hip complex, the LPHC. All right, this is going to be the two big areas that we're covering today. And then a little bit of our cervical region with our neck when we're talking about this forward head positioning. So you may be asking yourself, all right, when I figure out what type of exercises I need to use for corrective exercise, when should I be doing this with myself or my clients? And one of the best things that I could recommend is that you do this as not only part of movement preparation for a workout, so part of your warm-up, but also as a separate session altogether. All right, you can consider these separate sessions as an active rest day for the client so that they can work on these little nitty-gritty things that are gonna require some extra attention. It's really easy just to add five or 10 minutes of it at the very beginning of a workout for a regular client. But if you can spend a good 20 or 30 minutes or more, if the, the condition calls for it, then you're probably going to have a better long-term effect in terms of correcting and reversing different types of movement compensations. Um, Another thing too is the only time that I would really use this is if those assessments that I mentioned previously are going to highlight that. So again, NASM overhead squat, push pull test, and then maybe even the single leg squat test. Um, and I think that would be it for the, for the initial couple that I would recommend off the top of my head. Um, the overhead squat highlights so many different types of compensations and you get to see multiple views from the anterior portion of the body as well as the side view when you're actually performing the squat itself. And it really can show you whether or not a client is dealing with something that is related to a muscular imbalance. All right. So we're going to move on now and start our very first area that we're going to cover and that's going to be lower crossed syndrome okay so forgive me for my puns but i like to get a little humorous when i'm giving these types of presentations because science can be kind of boring sometimes but also the fact that this is practical today will make it a little bit more fun so so as the kids say we're pretty hip we're going to move on now 
Lower cross syndrome is a quadrant related issue that is dealing with four different types of muscles in the hip region. Okay, so if we're looking specifically at the weak muscles, we're probably going to be looking more so at the weak abdominal region, specifically the um, transverse abdominis, and then also weak glutes. So if we're looking at the cross section on the slide, the glutes and the abdominals are the ones that we're going to be needing to activate after we inhibit and lengthen the overactive muscles. Okay, so the overactive muscles in this case are going to be the hip flexors and then potentially our erector spinae muscles, which are on our lower back region in the lumbar area. Okay, these are muscles that we are mostly going to be stretching and inhibiting via self myofascial release um, and then following up with the activation so that we can correct the tilt of our pelvis. So with an uh, lower cross syndrome, we may see a couple different things. If we have those really tight hip flexors on the front of our body, our pelvis is going to be tilting downwards in the front, which is going to cause an arch in our back. So this position in a static when we're just standing doesn't cause as much issue, but when we start loading our body with external resistance, say putting a barbell on our back or holding dumbbells in our hand when we're standing, this could put some compressive forces on the lumbar spine that could potentially cause some very severe injuries. Um, so we wanna be able to prevent that and again, one of the things that we can do to assess this is to test somebody's squat, specifically the overhead squat, see what type of compensations are happening, and then move forward with different types of corrective exercises. So without further ado, let's talk about what corrective exercises we're going to prescribe today. The first thing is going to be the inhibit phase. So we're going to grab our roller here. And first, let me talk you through this because this is going to be really important to understand. Um, for the inhibit phase of the lower cross syndrome, we're going to want to target the hip flexors and then the uh, superior portion of our rectus femoris, so the top of our quad. So think about midway through the quad here, all the way up to the hip crease. That's most likely we're going to be focusing a lot of the pressure on this roll. So let's grab our rollers. We're going to find a space on the ground and we're going to fix ourselves up with this first hip roll. So I'm gonna find this space right here, put it on my inside leg so you can all see what's going on. And we're going to apply pressure directly to the top of my hip flexor, right where the hip crease is. I like to drop down on my elbows because I don't like to really hyperextend my back. So this is like a really good place to be so that your spine isn't getting any type of distress. So from here, we just want to do some casual rolling. So it's about a three to six inch space just below your hip bone, which will target most of your hip flexors. If we go beyond that six inches there, we start to get down into the quad. And that's also going to be a good place to target because the rectus femoris and the hip flexors are both muscles that help with hip flexion. So if we're thinking about it, when we're in seated positions, our hips are going to be in this shortened position in a passive way. So we're not doing any activity. It's just getting used to being like that. So if you're a desk worker and you're in this position for a long period of time, that muscle could get chronically shortened and we don't want that. So with inhibiting the muscle, we're going to roll with our legs straight first. So we're rolling back and forth. Typically, I like to prescribe anywhere between 10 to 20 total rolls on that area to get a good amount of inhibition. From there, we elevate the position itself by being able to flex at the knees. So 
we find the point of most discomfort when we're doing it with a straight leg. And then once we're on that point, so right here is my point of most discomfort, we start to flex and extend the knee, okay? What's happening here is you are lengthening the quad, which is pulling down on the hip, and it's going to put an increased amount of tension on that spot that the roller is pressing against, all right? So for this, we're expediting the inhibition process. So we're trying to speed it up. And then once you're done flexing, probably about five to 10 times, stay on that point of least or most resistance where the roller is um, on your thigh with your knee flex, and then keep your knee flex and roll. So now instead of the quad being relaxed, the quad is fully lengthened and we're able to get a little bit more inhibition out of that before we move on to the next phase. Okay, so we're doing that. And then we want to switch to our other side. So we're going to do that just for symmetry purposes. We want to be able to get both sides in this. Um, unless somebody identifies that they do have one hip flexor that is tighter than the other, that's probably the only time that you would ever want to focus on one over the other. So we're doing the same thing. And I'll make this a little bit faster. We'll go short micro rolls with the leg straightened. We'll find the point of most discomfort. So that's right here for me. Flex and extend at the knee. Do this about five times. And then with the knee flexed, then go into continuing that roll so that you can get more inhibition of that hip flexor, okay? So after doing this, your hips should be feeling pretty good. The muscle itself should be feeling like it's warm, maybe even relaxed to some extent. If you're able to do some sort of lunges, it may feel a little bit more fluid for you. But that's when we want to move into our next phase, which is lengthening. So I like to grab a foam pad. This is about a two and a half inch pad. Um, you can get at any fitness retailer. You can also use a pillow. This is specifically for protection of your kneecap because we will be doing something directly on that area. Um, or if you don't have any of that available, you can ball up a sweatshirt or a towel or something that you can put some additional uh, padding for your knee. So what we're gonna do here is go into a half kneeling position we want to have the quad, the thigh muscle, or the thigh area stacked directly under your torso so that you can draw a direct line through here. We're pushing our hips forward and flexing the glute, okay? We're not going into this exaggerated sprinter's stretch because this isn't really going to do us much good for this particular um, targeting of the hip flexor. So what we're going to do, flex at the hip, shift forward. You should not be able to go any further than this. Okay, any further than this, you're actually hyperextending the hip and the lumbar region, and we don't want that because that's going to cause us some issues long term. Okay, so flexing at the glute and then try and bend and reach for the back leg to then grab your heel and pull it towards your behind. Okay, so in the lengthened phase, again, this is static stretching. And we're trying to hold these stretches for anywhere between 60 to 120 seconds. All right. I might have said 90 seconds earlier, but the, the more the better, honestly, with these types of stretches, because you're going to ensure more length of the muscle that you're trying to work. All right. So by doing this, you can do a little bit of pulsing. So by flexing and releasing the glute on that same side that you're holding, this is going to allow you to get a little bit more dynamic stretching into the position 
which will help with stretching and lengthening out the hip flexor. So at the same time of stretching the hip flexor, because my knee is so flexed here, I'm getting some stretching out of the quad as well. So sometimes it's not just the hip flexors that cause an issue. It could be tight quads too. And that's what we're trying to work here. So let's relax here. Um, we're gonna go to the other side. I'm gonna give you a couple other ideas for what you wanna do um, if for whatever reason you can't reach your ankle um, or if it's just very painful to be able to get it all the way up to your backside. So same thing, lock the hip out. If you can, squeeze the glute and then grab the heel. And the hardest part of this particular movement is actually being able to grab the foot. Okay, so what happens here is if you cannot grab the foot, one thing I recommend is you can use a bench or a box or something that will get your foot elevated. So if I'm using this box right here, I can get my foot elevated onto the pad and then I can sit up tall. Getting my torso in line with my quad again, very helpful for getting this position. So you can do this at the edge of a couch. You could do this off of a utility bench. You could do this off of a stability ball. I like the stability ball because it actually forms to your foot a little bit better. It's a little bit more comfortable on the foot and ankle region. Um, but always 60 to 120 seconds. Usually you're trying to go for about anywhere between three to five total sets. So if we're thinking about this three to five sets of one to two minutes, that's a long amount of time that I'm gonna be doing some static stretching, but here's what's gonna happen. By doing that much static stretching on that area, you're actually going to lengthen it out and ensure that you get that new length, especially after inhibiting it too, okay? So we're done with that. After inhibiting and lengthening the hip flexors, now we need to move on to what we need to do to strengthen. So moving forward, we have the activate phase, okay? The glutes in lower cross syndrome are going to be the thing that prevents our hips from being tucked down and in a flex position. So if you think about it, if you go to flex your glutes and lock your hips out, your hips are nowhere to be found when it comes to arching like this. So we lock our hips down, we get a neutral position of the pelvis, and that's our glutes flexing, okay? So how do we actually approach doing an exercise that will target those more specifically? This is what I'm going to show you. So we're going to blow this up real quick so I can show the screen. There's two ways that you can perform um, the actual exercise. So if you're looking at the green box, we're doing an elevated single leg hip thrust. All right. So you can do this doing one leg or both legs, depending on what the intensity is like for you or your client. So I always recommend starting bilateral first. So doing both legs at the same time, getting used to that hip extension of the glutes flexing and locking out at the top. So that you're making this like tabletop position. I like doing it with the back elevated onto something. So in this case, we're gonna be doing it with the back elevated onto a box because what that does to the hip is it brings your hip into a further range of motion. And although we're only doing body weight at this point, if two legs gets really easy, then you're going to take and do one leg, which will make it more difficult, okay? And the recommendation for this is you're gonna do anywhere between 10 to 15 reps. And for each repetition, every single one, you're gonna be doing about a five second hold. So let's blow the camera up on me so I can actually demonstrate this for everybody. We're going to find our elevated surface. So in this case, I'm using the box here. Your back is going to be elevated onto that box. <clears throat> Feet are going to be out in front. If we're doing both legs at the same time, hips come up. You're driving through your heels. 
to the sky, and then you're holding this position for five seconds before dropping down slowly into the deep position. So bigger hip crease here than if I was laying on the ground. Let's drive back up, holding for five seconds. Okay, that was really easy for me. So let's increase the intensity a little bit. Let's lift up our left leg or whatever leg you wanna start with, and we're straight to the sky. So now we're working on specifically the opposite glute of the leg that's lit, that raised up. So here, holding for five seconds, pretty tough. Let's switch to the other side. Really being able to feel a side-to-side -side difference here. That's really important for making sure that you get the best out of this particular move, okay? So by doing 10 to 15 reps of this with that hell time, you'll definitely feel the burn after doing that first set. We're gonna do two more additional ones to get two to three sets total in order to make sure that we're strengthening and turning on the glutes in a way that's going to help us correct the pelvic tilt that we're looking for. From there, if you did a pre-test squat for assessing whether or not this person needs the uh, movements that we just did, you wanna be able to post-test that squat as well or integrate that into a movement. So as the picture on my slide depicts, we're gonna look at the orange box here. We're just doing a bodyweight squat to assess the position. So if we look at the squat, my picture might be better than my current position right now, but <clears throat> when we squat down, we want to have the shin angle, so the angle of our shin parallel with the angle of our torso. So if my torso is looking up this way, my shin should be going up in the same direction in a parallel fashion. I shouldn't be bent over too much. I shouldn't have this crazy arch in my back. I should be able to get my hips below my knees. And that's usually the good place for you to be when you're trying to do a squat. If you're elevated a little bit, that might indicate there is some sort of hip restriction that's causing you to not be able to get super deep into the squat. Okay. So that is how we are going to elevate the movement for lower cross syndrome. Um, we're now gonna move on to the upper cross syndrome. And again, another pun for you here. So if your T-spine, that may be holding you back. Um, and although the T-spine is not just the back itself, we're really gonna try and focus on some of the things that are gonna help us understand what's really going on with the shoulder complex um, and our rib cage and our upper back to make sure that we're doing the right things. So we're looking at the muscles here, all right? Another quadrant that we're looking at for upper cross syndrome, four different regions that we're trying to correct in order to make different types of improvements for the position of the shoulder. So in upper cross syndrome, you're mostly going to see rounding of the shoulders, which can also be exacerbated by protrusion of the head. So we wanna be able to bring all of that back and make sure that the head is stacked over the shoulders, which is stacked over the torso and everything is in a straight line, okay? So muscles, weak muscles first. We're looking at deep cervical flexors of the, uh, of the neck. We're looking at the middle and lower trapezius muscles that are on our backside. So we're thinking below our scapula in the bottom side position of our um, back region. We're looking at tight pectoral muscles and then also tight upper trapezius and maybe even tight levator scapulae muscles. These are kind of like the Bonnie and Clyde of the shoulder area where we have tightness. These are the ones we're gonna really need to work on in order to make sure that we are getting the most uh, relaxation of that area. 
Before moving on for the actual exercises, let's talk about some common mistakes that I've identified when working with different types of clients who think they know what they're going to be able to do on their own just by doing a quick Google search. So one of the things that I've had clients do that are that clients have come to me and told me that they've done is that they take a foam roller like the picture describes and they roll out their upper back because they wanted to correct the rounding of their shoulders. Although you may get some clicking and popping from the mobilization of your vertebrae that may provide some temporary relief, it's not exactly going to be productive for you to roll out that region because we're actually rolling directly on the muscles that pull the shoulder blades back. So do we really want to inhibit the muscles that are going to help us pull our shoulder blades back into proper position? I'd say no. When we do those rolls on the upper back, you're laying primarily on the rhomboids right between the shoulder blades. And then you're also laying right on the middle and lower trapezius muscles. So those are the two areas that we're inhibiting when we do this roll. And if you're thinking that's going to mobilize and create some mobility of your thoracic spine, temporarily, sure, but long-term, probably not the best. So that's mistake number one is using the foam rollers incorrectly. Mistake number two is focusing SMR, so self-myofascial release techniques, in the wrong areas. So similar to how we just talked about a foam roller being used incorrectly on the back, if we're dealing with rounded shoulders, it's mostly coming from anterior or superior muscles that are causing the shoulders to round forward. So that's where we really need to focus our SMR techniques. So we're gonna show you one today to be able to target the pec major and pec minor muscle to ensure that you're really figuring out how you can put some SMR in that area to help release that muscle and allow your shoulder blade to come back. Lastly is neglecting either the inhibiting or lengthening phase or even both of the NASM corrective exercise continuum. So some people, when they're trying to improve their position, they may focus on just stretching, they may focus on just SMR, or they may just be focusing on trying to strengthen weak muscles that they think might be causing the movement to happen. What we need to do is follow something like the corrective exercise continuum, which is a great model to be able to progress from one stage to another in a good way to help you regain proper control of the muscle. Because again, posture is not just bad positioning, it's postural control. So we're thinking muscular control here too, all right? So let's move on to upper cross syndrome here. We're going to start with a upper pec SMR using a elevated surface like a plyo box and then also a round object, such as a trigger point ball, a softball. I like using a softball preferably, but trigger point ball is also a great company that makes a lot of good SMR um, content uh, or SMR products. The, um, the ball is gonna be placed directly in your pec, right at the crease of your uh, armpit there. So that's where we're gonna be locating it. We wanna be able to get the ball just outside of the armpit with your hand on an elevated surface. So you can see I'm using an elevated box here. This is going to help make sure that you have your arm fully flexed overhead when we're in this all fours position. And then from here, we wanna roll side to side, okay? So the muscle that we're really targeting here, although we're trying to hit more global pec, is really gonna be the pec minor. So when we're in this overhead position, the pec minor is fully lengthened and it's allowing us to provide a lot of pressure using our body weight right on that site. So by going side to side, you're hitting the pec minor. If you go forward and backwards, 
So rocking forward and backwards is going to hit more so the global pec major because that's the penation of the muscle. Okay, it kind of fans out and we're going across the penation of the muscle. Okay, so with the pec, the pec will fan out this way. With the pec minor, it kind of fans up on like a diagonal slash vertical region, depending on whether the arm is up or down. Okay, so when we're going across like this with the pec major, going across those fibers will help inhibit there. When we go side to side with our arm up overhead, pec minor is where we're really targeting here. Okay, so we want to do that on both sides. And when you're finished with this, you should be able to feel some level of increased mobility and range of motion overhead. So we're going to roll side to side, forward to back. Get a lot of the pec there. And again, we're not more so on the anterior portion of the pec, we're kind of in the armpit crease. So with that, <clears throat> we're inhibiting, relaxing, and you should be able to feel a better overhead range of motion, okay? So after doing that, there's another technique that I kind of want to show, um, which isn't really something that's common in terms of mobilizing for overhead uh, range of motion, but we can also target the tricep in a similar position. So I'm going to show this using the arm that's facing you here. If we get our elbow on top of the ball and get our arm out overhead, let's see what's going on here. So with my elbow down, my lat is going to be lengthened on the underside here. So we're getting full length of the lat, and then we're also going to inhibit the activity of the tricep because sometimes we don't really think, is the tricep causing any overhead range of motion issues? If I'm doing all of these pull down positions and it's causing me to bring my arm downwards and towards the side, does that give me any range of motion limitations? Is it activating the lat, the lat in a subconscious way or a secondary way, okay? So the same thing with this, we go elbow on the ball, forward and backwards, get to that point of most discomfort and then go side to side because just like the pec, the, uh, the tricep goes vertically from elbow to armpit. So if we cross hash those muscles with the SMR technique, we'll get maximum inhibition. Okay, good. So we have that. That's our inhibit phase. Moving on, we have now the lengthen phase. So what are we gonna do for that? Although we could target the chest muscles for lengthening, and that's something that you could do doing like a traditional door jam stretch where you put your arms in the door and step forward, we're gonna do something a little bit different. I like doing rotational exercises. So we're gonna find ourselves in a quadruped position on all fours, and then we're gonna drop our far away arm down to our elbow, okay? From here, the free arm is going to rotate back as if you're rowing a dumbbell up or doing any type of rowing motion and then fully extend trying to look over your shoulder, okay? So we get a little bit of length from the chest when we bring ourselves back like this, but at the same time, we're getting a good amount of rotation of the torso. So kind of like when you do the upper back foam roll and you get those clicks and pops with uh, the foam roller giving some vertebral decompression, you get a little bit of decompression around the thoracic spine by doing some rotational movements while also getting a stretch of the chest. Now, I like double whammies for exercises because it gives me some time to save to be able to do other movements. So this is a good one to add, especially during the warmup where you have only a limited amount of time for you to do with your clients. So with this, 
We can do this for repetitions where you're doing pulling back and down, or you can pull back and look over your shoulder and hold this for time. This is a little bit more challenging to hold for time as like a static stretch, but when you start to get a little bit more length around the torso, your shoulders start to feel a little bit more free as well. So let's do that on the other side too. Give you a couple other things to think about too. And we have a dowel rod here too. So a cool thing that we can do with this is from the quadruped position on all fours, we can have our arm elevated up. So this helps with the stretching of the chest. All right. So if we were to do this, we can actually pull our arm down and actually help increase the amount of rotation around the torso. Really, really awesome movement if you really want to try and open up the chest and the rib cage a little bit more. So again, statically or dynamically by doing repetitions, your choice. Good. So first two phases for that. And one thing I want to add as like a quick little disclaimer for any of these movements that I'm showing you today, these are not end all be all movements. These are creative techniques that you can use and add to your exercise toolbox so that you can use it in a company with traditional movements that you might be aware of. So the goal for this is not to give you things that you already know, it's to give you new things that you could use for the future. So just keep that in mind. <clears throat> so now let's move on to the activate phase. In the activate phase, we are trying to really focus on those lower and middle traps, okay? These muscles definitely need some love, even if you feel like somebody has pretty good overhead range of motion, okay? The upper traps of our body over dominate a lot of the motions because they do elevation and they do a lot of different types of positions um, of the shoulder girdle. And when it gets overactive, it really causes issues by taking over control of the other movements that muscles like the rhomboids, the middle traps, and the lower traps are supposed to be doing. So basically, it's like the big older brother that is trying to steal all of your glory. But we're not going to talk about that. <clears throat> Let's go on to the floor to start this movement. We're going to be down in a prone position. So this is on our stomachs and we're going to use, I use a pad for my head, but you really don't have to do this. Let me show you bent over first. We're going to have our palms facing up, elbows come back in a 90 degree position. And then we're going to put this W position out as we kind of fly out here. From there, we're reaching up overhead and clapping and then coming back down. So we're gonna do this on the ground. From here, head down, W up, clap overhead, pull back down, okay? So your arms are staying off the ground the entire time and it's really going to challenge the middle and lower traps to keep your arms up off the ground the entire time. Very, very challenging movement. It gets your scapula moving in a very awesome fashion where it's upwardly rotating and elevating and depressing. It's doing all the movements that it should be doing compared to other exercises that don't allow it to really move correctly. So when we do this, the further away your hands go from your center of gravity, the more tension is put lower on the traps. So it goes from middle all the way down to lower when we come out into the clap position. So when we're here overhead, that's gonna be your point of most tension, okay? Because your gravity is furthest away from your body. So that's where we're really trying to do this. I would do this for repetitions of anywhere between 20 to 30 for strength endurance. 
or you could do it for time to get the same effect. So 60 seconds, 90 seconds, 120 seconds of just continuous repetitions without letting your arms touch the ground. That's going to be the key for you to be able to make sure that you're gonna develop the strength and endurance for the shoulders to keep back by using the middle and lower traps, okay? From there, once you feel like you have good mobility and good strength of those muscles that are help contributing to this position, we then need to integrate. So for this case, I liked using uh, kettlebells for the picture, but I have a dowel rod here today that we're gonna use. We're gonna do a half kneeling overhead press. And what we're looking for here is the things that would inhibit your ability to go upwards overhead. So in this case, this would be arms falling forward, head protruding out, maybe your shoulders elevating to compensate for the movement. These are all things that happen during the NASM push and pull tests, okay? So you can use this as like a test and retest when you're trying to address upper cross syndrome with your client. And ultimately, the, the more you do this with somebody, the better movement patterns or motor patterns are gonna be able to develop to ensure that they have um, great range of motion overhead. Um, in most cases, really look at those middle and lower traps to, in, to see if they are the limiting factor because they are so weak or underactive, okay? Moving forward, we have our final and third movement compensation. So bad posture can be a real pain in the neck, and this is talking about forward head position, okay? So forward head position is kind of like the cousin to upper cross syndrome. And in upper cross syndrome, you're dealing with some similar muscles, but not all of the same muscles. So for forward head position, we're still dealing with tight upper traps, tight levator scapulae muscles. And then also we get this new muscle on the anterior portion of our neck called our sternocleidomastoid, okay? Otherwise known as the SCM. This muscle is the one that allows for flexion of the neck. And think about it like this. I have a phone in front of me. What am I doing right now? Texting. What muscle is shortened right now? The SCM. So what can we do to take such a daily habit and correct it so that we are able to live optimally in better positions? That's what we're going to show you right now. But a couple other muscles that need to be worked on. We talked about the deep cervical flexor, flexors for upper cross syndrome. That's definitely going to be one that's going to crossover into this condition. And then also we're gonna be looking again at the middle and lower traps and how we can be able to strengthen those to ensure that our head draws back over our shoulders and stacks in a vertical fashion over our body, okay? So the first move I can't really do just because of the structure of the space, but I'm gonna show it to you in a different way than the picture describes. So using a SMR ball, we are going to find a post of some sort. So in my picture, I use the edge of a squat rack to be able to bend over and apply pressure directly on the top of the trap muscle, okay? So when you do this, the top of the trap muscle is the superior portion of the shoulder. All of that pressure you can do by leaning into it, you can really press your feet into the ground and give it most body weight so that you can cause inhibition at a faster rate. Once you have, I'll face you for this, this way once you have the ball on the shoulder you'll be able to tilt your head away which will lengthen not only the trap but will also start lengthening this scm muscle the sternocleidomastoid all right this muscle is the one that's going to be pulling our head down in this forward head position 
And combined with the trap, it's like, again, I mentioned Bonnie and Clyde earlier with the levator scapulae. This muscle is the one that's going to be causing this position of your head protruding forward. And one thing to know about with your head protrudes forward is you have some vertical gravity that's pulling down on your head. The more that your head protrudes forward, the more weight of gravity pulls down on your cervical spine, which can cause very, very severe um, cervical issues. So if our head weighs anywhere between seven to nine pounds and we're moving forward, think about how much additional weight that could potentially add to the cervical pressure that's pulling down on your upper spine. All right. So by doing something like this, we inhibit that muscle and allow us to get a little bit more freedom of movement. But that's not the only thing that we have to do to inhibit. So we hit the trap. We do some lateral stretching of our neck. We move on to the levator scapulae. So I have a smaller ball here that has a studded complex to it. Something about the size of a golf ball, maybe a lacrosse ball or baseball could be used. Again, trigger point makes balls that are about the size of a tennis ball that would work too. Um, you want to find the top portion of your trap right where you can reach around and grab that little common knot that most people can feel. So this is kind of like the superior edge of your scapula where this muscle tends to lie, okay? It's between there and your cervical spine that the muscle connects to and allows for some upward rotation of the scapula, a little bit of elevation as well. And this is another muscle in addition to the trap that gets very overactive. By using a small uh, trigger point device or small object that can apply direct pressure to this, you'll wanna be able to go up against a wall or maybe lying down on the ground to be able to target this area. The wall would be easier but one thing I recommend is that you put your arm behind your back, which will cause a little bit of uh, lateral winging of the scapula. And this will lengthen the uh, levator scapulae just a little bit, okay? And then by leaning against the wall, you're applying direct pressure on that region, which could then be able to inhibit it even further. So by doing that, we're really trying to go all in on relaxing the traps, the levator scapulae, a little bit of sternocleidomastoid, and ensuring that we are turning off those muscles before we move on. Because what happens is if we go on to try to strengthen the lower or the middle and lower trapezius muscles without inhibiting these first, guess who is going to dominate the movement? Those two areas. Okay. So we need to turn them off first in order to get to the proper stretching and, and activating positions. Okay. So now moving forward, to lengthen this region, we really, really want to target that sternocleidomastoid muscle. So I'm going to slide this over real quick. Get this really up close to you so you can see this. So we're going to find ourselves in a bench or a box or something that you can hook your hand under. This is going to be the really important part of this exercise. So for this box, I have a large wide surface area that I'm sitting on. Um, you can use like in a gym, a utility bench would be perfect for this. Hook your hand under and slide yourself away from it. This way you can lean in the opposite direction, which will allow the um, shoulder to be pulling down and get some stretch into the uh, sternocleidomastoid muscle. So here's what we're gonna do. Hook under, slide away, lean your body this direction, okay? And then we're tilting our head away from the shoulder that's being lengthened out. So initially you should start to feel a stretch in your trap maybe into your neck, maybe even down your arm, okay? And then we wanna tilt our ear to our opposite shoulder, 
okay? To start getting some lateral stretching here into the neck, okay? And then take your hand, apply brief pressure and relax. So dynamically, brief pressure, relax just to get the feel for it. And then you're gonna go statically and hold that stretch, okay? So this is the first position. You're gonna go lateral. And then we're gonna look up to the sky. And by looking up to the sky, we're gonna be able to get the lengthening of the sternocleidomastoid muscle. So it attaches to the edge of your jaw and part of the base of your, your skull here. And as we reach away, it lengthens fully out into your upper uh, torso region, kind of like where your clavicle is and your, your shoulder complex is. So as we pull back, big stretching here, the further you point your chin away, the more of a stretch you're gonna get on that area. It's painful to begin with, and I wanna use pain very lightly, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to begin with, but the longer you stay in that stretch, the more regular it becomes and the less discomfort that you will feel, okay? So again, reaching, pull the chin away, coming back, okay? Let's go to the other side. So we're going away, tilting, reaching through the edge here, okay? Bring your ear further to your shoulder. Take that chin, start pointing it away. Apply pressure to the outside of your forehead. Oh yeah, big, big stretch here. Sometimes if you do have an overactive SCM muscle, your jaw might start to open. So as you're pointing your chin away, try to close your mouth and that'll increase the stretch more. That's because we know the muscle is connected directly to the jaw. So let's pull away, clench your jaw. Oh, don't have to clench, but close your jaw. Really feel that through the outside of the neck here. Apply that outside pressure. And that'll be sufficient enough to be able to get some good lengthening of that area. I can already feel my shoulder starting to reset and find its new position. Um, so as with any normal um, static stretching routine, anywhere between three to five sets, somewhere between 60 to 120 seconds per stretch is gonna be beneficial for that. Um, obviously when you start doing all the math and we look at all three of these conditions, you wanna be able to say, oh, that's definitely gonna take over an hour for me to finish. You only need to focus on whatever's relevant to you. Not everybody's going to have upper cross syndrome, lower cross syndrome and forward head posture all at once. These are just all separate things that you can work on individually, okay? So let's move on to the uh, activate and integrate portions of this particular condition. The first thing we're gonna need to do is figure out first, what are my deep cervical flexors? Okay, the deep cervical flexors are the muscles that are deep within your neck. That's why they're not superficial super, or neck flexors, cervical flexors. They allow for you to tuck your chin. Okay, so tucked head position is standard for proper posture of the cervical region. And this is going to allow you to take what's known as this forward head position and push your chin back, okay? When you're here in this stacked position, you have no pressure on the back of your neck, you have no pressure on the front of your neck, and everything is just in a constant equilibrium, okay? The deep cervical flexors are just a muscle that's generally underworked. If we're sitting in awkward positions for long periods of time, we're mostly gonna be looking at what we need to do to strengthen those muscles. Because when we're, let's say if we're slouching, 
on the couch or in a chair where we're sitting back. We're sitting back and that's causing these front anterior muscles to be turned on to hold our head up. When we're sitting up tall, there's no muscles contracting and we're staying up equal balance for those muscles. So let's talk about what we need to do strength on that. All right. I have a resistance band with us right now, and uh, we're going to take the small end of this, if it's a closed loop band like this, and we're going to fix it around the back of our head. And then from here, we have each end of the band in our hands, and we're going to go down into a quadruped position. Now, you can see that this band is putting some significant pressure on my head and pulling my chin down, okay? You may think, oh, Corey, what is going on right there? Well, I need to be able to figure out how to pull my chin back. So it's tucking the chin and tilting the head back. Let me fix this. So it's tucking the chin and tilting the head back. This is going to help me really target the cervical flexors. And even though they're an anterior muscle and it looks like I'm doing a posterior exercise here, these muscles are really working in this position. The key is tucking the chin. And my voice might be changing a little bit because it's getting in the way of my vocal cords, but at the same time, the, uh, the cervical flexors are the muscles that are working here to help tuck the chin and pull the head back into a proper position. So here, when you pull them back, your head should be stacked over your shoulders, which are stacked over your torso and in a good position for this quadruped um, spot. For the prescription for this, we are looking at, um, just like with the single leg hip thrust for upper cross syndrome, or I'm sorry, lower cross syndrome, we're looking at 10 to 15 reps, five second holds per drawback of the chin, okay? You can also do it for time where you draw the chin back and you're holding that position where your head is up tight for about 60 seconds as well. This is a little bit for more endurance, isometric endurance. Um, this will allow you to be able to, um, keep the proper torso position without compromising too much of the uh, other areas of your body. So um, one of the cool things that we can do as far as integration for this movement is being able to do a pushing or a pulling assessment. So in the diagram, I use a bent over row. We'll use it using the dowel rod today. Um, just like the NASM push pull test, we can also see if there's any compensations when we row. So in a bent over row position, I'm in neutral spine, okay? If I pull it up and nothing happens, great. If I pull up and my head drops, that means there's a compensation occurring. So we need to identify, go back and reassess what areas we need to compensate um, in the corrective exercise continuum to make sure that we are correcting that in the future. Otherwise, it might be the client just needing to do a little bit of extra repetition at the movements that are required for um, correcting that position. So again, bent over rows. So it could be head protruding forward as he rows, or it could be shoulders elevating and coming up a little bit too high, overcompensating for the movement. So that's the upper traps that are causing the shrugging to happen, right? So two big things that you can do to ensure that we're getting to that forward head position and correcting it to pull back, all right? So let's move forward. We have a couple final things to close on today. Um, I wanna leave you with a good list of things to be mindful of that can help you and clients be able to uphold a proper posture on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Okay, so for some daily reminders, one of the things that we're going to leave you with today are to consider some type of ergonomic office equipment. If you have somebody who is in a sedentary job position, or if you yourself happen to catch yourself in common sedentary positions or inactive positions. So things like ergonomic chairs, stand-up desks, any type of foot risers that could help. These are all things that could potentially help with maintaining good posture long-term while combating a sedentary lifestyle. Um, the next thing is considering the use of a laptop computer. Obviously, the term laptop means sitting in your lap, but if you think about what happens if you're sitting down and the computer's in your lap, we have a lot of cervical flexion of the neck. Okay, so that's going to put you in an overflex position, and if you're doing that for long periods of time, then we start to see things like forward head position with those muscles getting shortened, right? Um, another thing that would be really cool is to keep yourself mindful of your shoulder and neck position throughout the day, okay? Sometimes daily posture or frequent posture checks where you pull your shoulders back, you pull your chin, tuck your chin back are gonna be common things that you're gonna to wanna to do to ensure that you're maintaining a good posture long-term. Another thing is that I had a previous client who liked to do this at some points and he had a pretty often or a pretty sedentary job where he would be sitting in front of a desk for long periods of time. Um, so we recommended setting a, a timer on his phone or his watch for 30 minutes to be able to get up and move every part of his body. He didn't have to do any structured exercise, but just shaking out his body a little bit, moving his ankles, moving his wrists, bending and flexing his, his elbows and his knees. These are all things that can just waken the body from a long period of inactivity. Um, a couple other things. Try sleeping on your back with a low pillow. Obviously not everybody is a back sleeper and that's a tough thing to get into habit of. I tried doing it when I was in undergrad, but I managed to develop a better habit of it when I got into grad school. Um, these are kind of things that are just general recommendations, but we can we can get to that. If, if we can develop good uh, posture habits outside of sleep, then you should be okay. Um, the last thing is just like what we learned today with general corrective exercises and then unique corrective exercises, try incorporating them more regularly into your routines, if not daily, if your body requires it, because that's going to ultimately help you um, uphold a proper posture and keep yourself in good alignment for longevity and ensuring that you're doing functional movements correctly. I'm going to hold you here with a couple of slides uh, or a couple of resources for some of the, the content that I referenced in terms of creating this presentation. Um, obviously, I did not do it alone, but there was a lot of things that were useful out there um, in the research world that helps with understanding posture, body alignment, and these different types of postural compensations. Um, and then we'll shift forward. I'll give you some of my contact information. I have two email addresses that are here. Again, my name is Corey Bennett. Um, I'm happy to be able to present Liberate Your Posture to you today. Um, if you wanted to reach out to me, if you're a university professional, please use my university email. Um, if you're a, a fitness professional in the industry, I consider using my private email as the, as the best one to get to the benefit project at gmail.com. Um, I do have an Instagram handle that has a fitness education contact called the uh, benefit project. And then I don't have the domain name yet for my website, but if you scan this QR code on the slide, you'll be able to go directly to that to check out some of the things that I'm doing in my private uh, business. But overall, I want to wish you a happy NASM Optima conference. This is the craziest thing that we've ever had to do with going virtual. And I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. Keep learning, live well, move happy.